You guys give it up for the worship bands. You're doing such an awesome job. Hope you guys got some sleep. <laughs> How many of you guys got less than five hours of sleep? Oof. You're still insane. <laughs> oh, man. Cool, cool, cool. Hey, finish this quote for me. Finish this movie quote. With great power comes... I'm going to go on a limb and say Tobey Maguire is the greatest Spider-Man that ever came across the scene. <laughs> oh, man. It's all about Tobey. Hey, I, I, none of this uh, Tom Holland garbage, okay? And Andrew Garfield, we know why he's Spider-Man. Um, hey, real quick, why do we look up to superheroes? Why are these superheroes, these monolithic uh, people in our lives, these people we put on a pedestal, these people we want to be when we're kids? We look up to these, to these beings that have um, these honestly terrible lives. If you actually look at their life, I was watching Spider-Man 2 the other day, and Peter Parker's life is just awful. Like, he is just getting um, hit in the face left and right, both physically and emotionally, okay? So he is just bombarded with all these issues and problems. He can't live a normal life. All these things in his life are causing problems for him. Yet, guys like Spider-Man, Batman, Batman's the best superhero. Um, superheroes like this face challenges almost every single day, yet at the same time, we want to be like them when we're younger. But when we get older, something changes. And when we get older, we actually start to pursue stability, and we start to pursue comfort, and all these things that in which we can control, whether it be our career, whether it be our income, or the school that we go to, we ultimately start moving in this direction of stability and comfort. And while that's not a bad thing, you read the Bible, when it talks about what it means to live a life for God, it doesn't actually say that those things are bad in and of themselves. In fact, when you look, you read the book of Proverbs, Proverbs is in the Old Testament, and it's called the book of wisdom, and you read that, it actually talks about, man, there's some wisdom in having stability. But at the same time, you ask yourself the question, as you get older, why do we look at things a little bit differently? And I, uh, I have to believe the reason when we were young and the reason why even just when we're still teenagers or in high school, we still look up to some of these, these superheroes is because they live a life filled with meaning and purpose. That their life, at the end of the day, when they wake up in the morning, they have a reason to be alive and awake. And they have a reason to go out and do the things that they do. And despite the discomfort they face, despite getting punched in the face by aliens, or despite going and doing these crazy things where their, their lives and their loved ones are put in danger, they still go headfirst into a dangerous life. And the reason, like I said, is because their life is filled with a purpose and with a meaning. 
And you might be asking yourself the same question, what is my life all about? You guys, many of you guys are getting ready to go to college. Many of you guys are in your schools and you're studying these things and you're asking yourself this question, man, am I really going to use algebra after high school? And most of you guys are like, probably not. Um, And you won't. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Uh, You might be asking yourself that question, man, what is this all about? Why am I even here? And while the world has many, many reasons for it, and while there's wisdom in seeking stability and all those things, at the same time, it is a good question to ask when you take a step back. There's this famous interview that Tom Brady has, um, and at this time, Tom Brady only had three Super Bowl rings. How many? He has seven rings, which is insane. And so at this time, he had three Super Bowl rings, um, and so he was kind of at the prime of his career, or at least people thought he was, and uh, he was getting interviewed, I think it was by 60 Seconds, and they were asking him, man, what's next for you? You're, you've got three Super Bowl rings, are you going to continue in the league for years to come? What is, you know, after you retire, what are you thinking about doing? And he has this moment where he's just asking him, and you can just see himself, the wheels turning, and he's just thinking. And he finally comes to a point of honesty, and he says, man, I thought that all my dreams would come true when I reached this moment. That in having three Super Bowl rings, having an amazing family, an amazing wife, um, having all this money and all this success, that he'd actually feel fulfilled. And in this moment, he, he says, man, there's got to be more than this. And it's a crazy moment. You see him kind of thinking as he is as he is being interviewed, and he asks that question, man, there's got to be more than this. Is there more than this? And for many of us, we recognize as we live our lives, and you guys will recognize this as well, as you pursue a career, as you go to college, as you try and do these things, you'll recognize that those things actually won't be the thing that fulfills you. At the end of the day, and you might have heard this before, you might have heard this a thousand times from different people that are older than you, but you begin to recognize in your life, man, I've pursued all this comfort, stability. I've tried to surround myself with things that are going to bring me meaning and purpose. At the end of the day, they lack those things. There's this famous, uh, there's this famous psychologist. His name is Viktor Frankl. And Viktor Frankl was a Jewish man during World War II, and he was actually captured by the Nazis, and he lived in a concentration camp for many years. And so while he was in a concentration camp and being a psychologist, he did what he, a psychologist, would do. He observed people, and he observed the suffering and the pain that was happening around him. And he took notes and he was writing down things. And later on in his life, after World War II, later on in his life, he wrote this book. And it's a very, very famous book. It's called Man's Search for Meaning. And Victor, like I said, surrounded by pain and suffering, by just monstrosity after monstrosity, seeing the depravity of the human heart, the evil of the human heart, close up. And he writes down these very profound things. And one of the things he writes is he says this. He says, life is never made unbearable by circumstance. 
a guy who had had every reason to say that life is made unbearable by circumstance, where he's living in, in hell on earth, where he's living where people are getting tortured and where people are being treated in a subhuman way, he has every right to say life is, never, life is made unbearable by circumstance. I have been placed in the worst circumstance any human could be placed in. Yet, that's not what he says. He says, life is never made unbearable by circumstance, but only by a lack of meaning and purpose. So the worst thing about these people that were in the concentration camps wasn't the suffering and the physical pain that they were enduring. What he was saying is that they, being placed there, all of a sudden, their hope and their meaning was zapped from their lives. Why? Because they didn't know if they were going to ever have a life outside of this. They didn't know, ultimately, in the face of all these things, what life was all about. And that's what brought the ultimate pain for many of these people. And that's what Viktor Frankl is talking about. And all of us have no idea what it feels like to be one of them. Yet in the same way, we ask ourselves questions. And we feel a certain anguish. I'm sure many of you guys, seniors, as you're getting ready to go to college, you're trying to figure out what your life is going to be, how it's going to be shaped up. And though this, this message is kind of geared towards Christians, for those of you that don't know the Lord, I pray, and I hope you know this, I'm just going to say this once, that without Christ, there is no purpose. Without the Lord, we have no purpose. And some of you might be reeling with questions and doubts and want to combat me with that, but I'm telling you, the people that I know that have come to the Lord later in their life recognize there is nothing more life-giving than knowing that I have a purpose in Christ. And I want you guys to know that. But for those of us who call ourselves Christians, those of us who say that we follow Christ, those of us that say, man, I just want to follow hard after God, yet we ask ourselves a question probably daily or at least weekly, what is God's will for my life? What is his will for my life? How do I go and serve him? How do I live a life for him? And yet, at the same time, though we have it right in front of us, we're waiting for this revelation. We're waiting for a dream or we're waiting for someone just to pop out of the blue and say, this is your purpose. You're going to be a doctor. But that's not the way most of the time it really works. And what I want you guys to understand is that you do have a purpose. God does have a will for your life, and you can know what that will is. You can know what that purpose is by looking at the word of God. So if you guys have your Bibles, open up to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. There's this story I... Uh, and as you guys turn there, I guess I'll, I'll tell this, this really quick story. One of the first times in my life where I began to ask myself this question was when I had kind of, but not really a near-death experience. I was um, with my buddies, okay? It was me, my buddy Lincoln, and my buddy Trent, okay? Um, we used to go to Journey Faith, shout out, Journey Faith. Um, 
And at this time, we were hiking in the Topanga Mountains. It's like these mountains up in Santa Monica. And we wanted to get out, and we wanted to go and, like, hike and do weird, just do fun things. Um, and uh, we were hiking on this path, okay? And it was a paved path. And to our left, it was at the very beginning of the trail. And to our left, there was this fence, right? And so this fence had a no trespassing sign on it. And when you're a 16-year-old boy, what do you do? You hop the fence. Don't tell your parents I said that. But listen, don't trespass, seriously. Um, but we did it. And uh, against our judgment or against good judgment, we hopped the fence. And we started walking. And there's these trails, okay? And so um, here's the path. And on the left side was the fence. And on the other side of that was like this canyon. And so there was these trails along this canyon. It was really cool. And we were walking along these, these paths. And we would run into these fences. Uh, or they're not fences. They're more like gates, okay? And they were these doorways that were just doorways, but they didn't have a fence around them. So you could literally walk just around them. It was the weirdest thing ever. And so we were just walking around these doorways, and we are like, we started to get the feeling like maybe we're not supposed to be here. Um, and we were walking on this pathway, and then we get to a gate that has a fence around it. And as we approach it, we realize that it's locked, and there's barbed wire on the gate. And so that was the line for us that we weren't going to cross. So as we're standing there, I'm looking at the lock. My buddy Trent is behind me, and then my buddy Lincoln is in the back. And all we have are some backpacks and some water. And I hear my buddy Lincoln saying, we're trying to leave, we're trying to leave, we're trying to leave. Please, we're trying to leave. <laughs> and in that moment, I'm like, I'm going to die. Um, and as I'm standing there, I turn around, and there is a kind of a shorter dude with, like, this little dad hat. And he is wearing – he's not wearing. He is holding a machete in his hand, okay? And uh, he's just holding it. He doesn't have it up or anything. He's just holding it, and he's staring at us. And my buddy Lincoln is just trying to talk to this guy, telling him, like, yo, like, we're trying to, we're trying to get out of here. And in that moment, I'm like, what do I do? And the only thing at that moment that I had in my hand that even closely resembled a weapon, does anybody remember what selfie sticks were? <laughs> That's literally what I had in my hand. So I was like, am I about to sword fight a dude with a machete with a selfie stick right now? And so I literally, I have the selfie stick and I'm just gripping it like super hard. And uh, before you judge me, this is like 2014, okay? So we wanted to take some sick selfies, all right? Um, and so as I'm holding it, I'm like gripping it and I'm just ready to go. And eventually things cooled down. He was like, he backed up and he said, okay, he didn't really say anything, we just walked past him, and he just followed us out, essentially, and we hopped over the fence. And right after that, my buddy Trent Lincoln and I started having this conversation, like, dude, what is life all about? <laughs> like, we were like, we could have died right there. What is our life? How did, how did we live and fulfill our purpose up until that point? And we had this deep, deep conversation. And at the time, we were involved with our youth group, and then we, like, swore an oath, like, we're going to live for the Lord, and we're going we're gonna to do all these things for God. Um, and that was kind of the first time I actually had that conversation. And at that time, man, through the rest of the day and the rest of that month, I was thinking back on that circumstance. And I was like, what is God's will for my life? Little did I know that I could find it in God's word. And so 
Here's where, we, where we'll be today. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. And for those of you guys who don't know, this verse and this passage is commonly described as the Great Commission. The Great Commission. And it's used, it's used to explain, man, what does it mean to actually live a life for Christ? A life on mission. And when we talk about missions and missionaries, we recognize that it's not just missionaries that are global, that go around to different countries preaching the gospel. They're not the only ones that live a life on mission. We are to live a life on mission as well. So let's read it real quick. Verse 18 says this, And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you to the end of the age. Can I just pray for us before we, before we dive in? Heavenly Father, God, I pray that you would challenge us this morning. I pray that you would give us a burden for the lost. And as a result, God, that you would transform us to be people that are passionate about serving you and living for you. I know that many of us, God, feel a sense of apathy. We don't care. And we'd rather just figure out what we're doing with our lives. But God, you are the ones that give us life. So why would we feel any other way other than grateful and ready to do anything that you call us to do? So God, I pray that you would challenge us. I pray that you would wake us up, God, to what you have to teach us. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Real quick, the way I want to answer what is our purpose, that question, we're going to answer it in three ways. The first is, what is it that God has called me to do? What? The second is, where am I to go to fulfill this purpose? Where? Where do I go? The third is this, why am I to go? And probably the most important question of all is, why am I to go and do these things? So we'll start with, what am I to do? Right here. It says, right here in the passage, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. So instantly what you have is three different things. You have baptizing, or first one is making disciples. That's the first one. So if you, if you don't know what you're going to do with your life, you know I mean, Christ is calling us to make disciples. The second one is this, baptism. The third one is this, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. And before you try and understand, man, what is that like to live that life? I don't even know. Am I supposed to go and be like a street preacher where I'm going and finding pools and baptizing people and doing all these different things? The first thing I want you guys to figure out is that all three of those things happen where? They happen at your local church. If you want to live a life on mission, if you don't know what God's will is for your life and you're reading this and you recognize, okay, if I call myself a Christian... If I say that I believe in Jesus Christ, I am a disciple. So therefore, Jesus, in essence, is talking to me, and he's saying, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them. Okay, if I'm called to do that, then what should, how, how does that look? 
Well, I'm telling you right now, it looks like getting involved at your local church. It looks like serving the local church. And many of you guys, you're involved in your youth groups. You go to your youth group weekly, and you make it a priority. But for some of us, it's not a priority at all. And I'd just ask you the question, is a priority in your life, is living a life for Christ, living your purpose on this earth, is that a priority for you? Because if it is, then we got to be involved in our church. we got to be plugged in. And I would challenge you with this, not just to be plugged into your youth group, but to try and figure out a way in which you can go to the main service. Because in that way, you are actually able to see, man, the teaching of the word and worship, not just with people your own age, but with people that are older than you, that are wiser than you, people in which you can develop relationships with, in which they can pour into you and mentor you. And many of us, I mean, the statistics of young people when they hit college after youth group, when they go to college, the statistics of many of them stop going to church is astounding. So many people that were in youth group, by the time they reach college, then it's just not a passion of theirs to be involved in the church anymore. And why is that the case? Well, I think, man, one of the main reasons that's the case is because we don't realize that being a part of the church is what fulfills our purpose in life. It's what fulfills the Great Commission, being involved in a church that baptizes, that teaches, and that makes disciples. If you're a part of that church, if you're part of the body of Christ, if you're serving, and you are fulfilling the purpose that God has given you, If you have a voice to sing, join the worship team. If you feel, man, when you're in college and you feel called to be a part of the youth group, join the youth group as a leader, as a counselor, and start a Bible study with junior hires and start opening the word of God with them. Man, these are things that not only God has called us to do, to be a part of the local church, but these are things that ultimately fulfill us. Can I just tell you, I started a Bible study with some guys um, when I was at Journey, and I started a Bible study with some senior guys, and I, man, we went through the book of John, it took us a year, (laughs) so you guys are going through it in one week. But we started this Bible study, can I just tell you, it was the most life-giving thing. Just seeing the word of God, not me. And at the time, I probably didn't understand everything, and I didn't have a seminary degree. But at the end of the day, when we open God's word, we believe God's word never returns void. It transforms us. And just to see, by simply reading through the book of John, to see young men's lives begin to be transformed was the most amazing thing. And it did feel like, man, I'm fulfilling my purpose here on earth. So as you guys head to college... It's time to step up, and it's time to start serving at your local church and be involved. And many of you are going to colleges. I'd ask that you guys would figure out where you're going to church before you choose a college. Why? Because if we're going to put our money where our mouths are, if we're going to actually believe that the church is the only way for lost to know him, or is one of the only ways, it's God's plan to save people then we would do anything we could to be involved. 
So if you're going to Cal Poly Slow, if you're going to San Luis Obispo, find a church before you commit. Find a church where you can invest and where not only you can invest, but you can get poured into through God's word. It is so important. Not only that, we are to go and make disciples, but we can't make disciples unless we first, what? Tell them about Christ. And not just with the way that you live, but with the words that you say. There's a famous quote, and I think it's misleading. It says, preach the gospel when in, and when in doubt, use your words. You don't preach the gospel unless you use words. If you have friends that don't know Jesus Christ, and you in, in thinking that, man, I can just be a nice person, and they'll somehow come to know the Lord, it's not going to happen. It might and they might see something different about you, and they might recognize that you go to church, and they might be wooed to go to church. But at the same time, we need to be challenged to share the gospel with our friends, both in deed, in the way that we live, and in word. We need to be bold, and we need to not shy away with, from what we believe. Romans 1, 16, I am unashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God. Do you believe that as a Christian? If you have been transformed and made new, if you call yourself a Christian, then we ought to believe that with every fiber of our being. The second question we might ask, and it's the follow-up question, is, okay, I know what my purpose is. I know what I've been called to, to be a part of the local church and to be a light on my campus with sharing the gospel, figuring out a way to start Christian clubs, figuring out a way in which we can actually communicate it, not in a way that bashes Christianity over people's heads, but in a way that woos them in and in a way that you can actually communicate this is the truth and the whole truth. But where am I to go? And the answer is, anywhere that you are at is where you are to live this life on mission. Anywhere that you are at, you are to live for Christ. If you're at your school, you're living for Christ. If you're at the grocery store, you're living for Christ. If you're at youth group, you're living for Christ. This Great Commission transcends every single place we could be. We are called to do this. It says, go into all nations. Well, you're in a nation right now, and a nation that desperately still needs the Lord and still needs people to preach the gospel. But there are some of us that are called to be missionaries. Praise God. There's some of you if God gets a hold of your heart, perhaps even just today, you will be called to go to a place where they have never heard of the good news of Jesus. Where they have never heard, who is Jesus? They ask that question. What is the Bible? What is the word of God? And you would have the honor of sharing with them that have never heard. Man, for some of us, man, we believe that, man, we could just live 
like if we're, if we're, we're all missionaries, right? And in a sense, that's true. We're all called to live a life on mission and share the gospel. At the same time, we're not all missionaries because there's actually people that are trained, that live, that spend years and years and years learning languages to cross cultural barriers, to go and share the gospel, whether it's translating the Bible in this language that has not been translated yet, or just merely living out the gospel indeed by supplying the needs of the people in the community and then preaching the gospel on top of that. There are people that go out in these communities that, tra- that are trained to help understand the culture in which they are going, just like Paul did when he went to Greece and when he went to these different places. They're trained to see these cultures, but not only to see them, but to love them and to recognize, man, I get to preach the good news to these people, the news that will save them. There's this famous passage in Romans 16. If you guys have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. Romans 16. Sorry, Romans 15. Romans 15, verse 18. There's this famous passage. As you guys flip there, I'll just kind of briefly go over it. It says, it says this. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. So Paul is saying, from Jerusalem all the way to Illyricum, I've fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you look at a map, those places, they're, they're pretty far, but they're not super, super far. And what he has done is planted a, maybe a couple churches in that area. He's gone around, and obviously he's writing letters to these, all these churches, but he's planted a couple churches between Jerusalem and Illyricum. But what does he say? He says, my work here is done. Why does he say that? He says, because you guys now have the responsibility to share the gospel and to continue to spread it throughout this region. My responsibility as a missionary, as a, somebody who's called to go and preach, my responsibility is to go where the gospel has not yet been preached. Where they don't have equal access to the gospel. And maybe they kind of know about Christianity, but at the end of the day, they just don't have the same access. Culturally, they're just not, they're not a Christian culture. They just don't recognize some of these things. And so many of us, we don't realize that so many countries are still unreached people groups. Japan. Less than 1% of the people that live in Japan are Christians. And there's 123 million people that live in Japan. Less than 1% are Christians. Now you might ask the question, well, I'm sure many of them probably have heard the gospel. When you look at the statistics, a vast majority of them don't know what the gospel is. Don't know what it means to actually believe in Jesus Christ. Have not been communicated to from the word of God. They don't know these things. And so right there you have an unreached people group in a first world country where technology is advanced, where there's all these things that they, that they have that they don't need. And at the same time, they don't know what it means 
to follow Christ. They don't know the good news. And there are many other countries around the world in Scandinavia and Northern Europe that you would be surprised as well to find out, man, I thought that these places knew the Lord. Well, in a post-Christian world where people just say, oh, that was the past, many of them have grown up in these traditions and they have never heard the good news. Many people are born into situations in which it's just completely secular. And many of you guys probably, I'm sure some of you guys in this room, yet many, I'd say most of you, if not all of you, have at least heard about the gospel, at least heard about Christianity and heard about these things that we talk about, maybe from different sources and from, from the outside looking in. But many of these people do not have equal access to the word of God. Why? Culturally. Culturally, they just don't understand it. And so we need missionaries to go and to explain it to them in a way that makes sense to them. So some of you guys are called to do that. And that's amazing. It's incredible. Book of Romans says, How beautiful are the feet that go and preach the good news of Jesus Christ. The greatest danger for you and I, and it might feel different kind of like in today's culture, but the greatest danger for you and I is not persecution. And it might seem, like I said, that it's heading in that direction. Our society is starting to persecute us more. The greatest danger for you and I is our passion for the gospel growing cold. Why? Because we have everything we need. We're surrounded by so many things that distract us. Why do you feel that, man, you can focus on your relationship with the Lord when you come to a week at camp? Because the rest, the 365 days a year that you are not here, the 360 days you're not here, you're surrounded by all these things, these things that distract us from living out the true purpose that God has called us to live. And it's no mystery why that happens. Because we cannot live on mission for Christ unless our lives look different. Unless we're making time for God. Unless we're setting him and his church as a priority. The last question is why am I to go? Why am I to go? and make disciples of all nations? Why am I to go to be involved at our local church where I invite people to go and hear the gospel? Why am I to live out this purpose? For some of you that call yourselves Christians, some of you that are Christians, that are believers, you know in your heart and you know and you recognize that God loves you. And that someone shared the gospel with you. And that now you get to live a life for him in his love and in his purpose. And you get to live a life knowing that this is not your home, that heaven is your home, that one day you'll see Jesus face to face. And Christ has had so much love and grace and mercy on your life. He saved you and he made you alive. He took dead things and he made them alive. And we're asleep to that reality most of the time. 
We don't recognize the love that God has extended to us. And we don't realize that that's not where it's supposed to stop. When you read these passages, you recognize that it's supposed to go through us and we are supposed to live out the love that Christ has poured into our hearts. And as Christians, we are called to love those that don't know the Lord, yet we're afraid to share with them the thing that will save them. We can't be afraid anymore. You will be, I know I said this earlier, that persecution is not the greatest danger for us. But as you grow in your faith, and in the coming years, it'll get you'll become weirder and weirder by calling yourself a Christian. You will be pushed more and more to the outskirts of society. And people will look at you differently. And they'll look at the things that you believe and they'll say, you're a bigot. How could you say that? How could you believe these things? Yet all the while, in your heart, you know that you love these people. And you ultimately just want them to know the truth. So why are we to go? The love of God compels us, 2 Corinthians 5.14. The love of God compels us. I hope that you're compelled by God's love that he's had on your life. Not just for the group, but for you individually. I'll end with this last passage from Romans 10. It says this, For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him who they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without somebody preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet that preach the good news. The answer to that question, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That's an amazing reality. But in the next, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? For those that don't know Christ, that have never been told about the gospel, for those that don't know him in these countries in which they have no access to the word of God, in which they're, they're suffering and they don't realize, man, their suffering is but a moment, but if you would give your life to Christ, you do not, this is not your home. That suffering will cease one day for you. How are they to believe in him in whom they have never heard? The answer is they won't. The burden is on us. And that's why being a part of the local church is so important. That's why going into the nations and preaching the gospel is so important. We have a message that is urgent. And that saves those that don't know him from an eternity in hell. we got to believe this because it's found in God's word. In China, there's this organization. Well, it's not really an organization. It's China's politics, essentially. It's called the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party. And in the CCP, they're actually cracking down on Christians. And the way that they're cracking down on Christians in China is by taking the word of God and rewriting it to support communist ideas. And so they're, they're rewriting pages of scripture. They're rewriting and changing the meaning. 
And soon the only Bibles that are going to be able to be possessed in China are the Bibles that have been rewritten and approved by the CCP. And so you have these Chinese, and, and, and at the same time, Christianity in China is exploding. It is growing in vast numbers. And what are these people to do? And they have the word of God, they have the Bible, they have the teachings of Jesus that are now being rewritten. So now they have to go into places of hiding. Or else they'll be thrown in prison. And they're going into basements and they're going into buildings and all these different places in which they can hide from the government. And can I just tell you, I have to imagine that these believers are so on fire for the Lord because they're not surrounded by these things because all they have is Christ and they recognize this is not my home my home is in heaven and they believe firmly in the teachings of Christ and they hold fast to it for dear life and they recognize the power of the word of God has and that they have the Holy Spirit living within them The same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead living within them. They recognize this. It's not just a thought in the back of their heads as a Christian. They, daily, they remember this daily. Why? Because they need to remember it daily. Because they're faced with persecution. So we as believers in America and California, though the future looks like it's heading in a, in a direction that scares us a little bit, don't be scared. You have the Holy Spirit living within you. You have the word of God. And you have access to that which changes lives. And you don't have to be afraid. And you can live a life that's filled with meaning and purpose. If you got anything out of this, it's that you have a life. And you have a purpose in that life. This year we got to um, partner with a missions organization called JAM. Okay, it's called Jubilani Africa Missions or Ministries. And uh, the leader of this ministry, his name is Jit, and he started this ministry um, years ago. But he started after he spent a summer here at Hume Lake in the seats that you were sitting. And he felt this call in his life to go back to his home country. He's from South Africa. He came here with the church. He went back to his home country country and he started a missions organization where they're developing leaders and disciples to go and make disciples. So they're all, they're like a training program for young people that have just gotten saved that are now going out and making a difference in their communities, both in word and in deed. They're partnering with the local church, they're running conferences, they're running Christian camps where they share the gospel just like Hume Lake. They're partnering with, with skate, skater ministries. They're partnering with surfing ministries all throughout South Africa, and they're doing amazing work. And so to kind of give you guys a better idea of what they are doing over in South Africa, we made a little video. So go ahead and check out the screen.
Amen. So here's what we're going to do. Um, in a moment, we're going to take an offering. Um, and uh, just so you guys know, you're under no obligation to give. But at the same time, um, this offering, just so you know, will go to nothing here on the lake at any of our campuses, um, in SoCal, anywhere. Um, but what they will go to, what this offering will go to, is Jam Ministries to help support JIT and the work that he's doing out in South Africa and the Limpopo province where they're creating and building a leadership center where they're going to go teach people God's word, and then send them out and start their own ministries. And so what an amazing thing. He even said, man, Christianity is, is blowing up in Africa as well, but he's recognizing, man, we got to go deeper. And that's his heart um, for the, the, the nation of South Africa. Um, not only will your money go to um, JAM Ministries, but it will also go to Hume International Hume International, and that's nothing here on the lake, like I said, but essentially what we do at Hume International is we run Christian camps over in places like Thailand, in places like Papua New Guinea, and in places in Africa as well, and so we, are, we run these Christian camps like you guys are experiencing, where we get to share the gospel with those that oftentimes live very different lives than you guys, and what an honor it is to be able to do that. So, if you guys feel burdened to give, don't feel obligated, um, but we're going to pass the offering bags in just a few moments, and as we do so, um, we're going to end with a time of worship, but before we do that, um, as the offering bags are making their way to the back, we'd ask that you guys would pray. We ask that you would pray, and, and, and don't, this, don't take this time to kind of talk to your friends, um, but pray earnestly for one thing, one of those things being, two things, one of those things being that God would give you a greater passion to share the gospel. And that God would place that burden on your heart. And that those people that come to mind that don't know the Lord, that, you're, that, that are your friends, that, that you know, man, I could, I could impact them, that you would do so and that God would give you the boldness to do so. That's one thing. The second thing is pray for jam. Pray for the stuff that they're doing in South Africa and in northern South Africa, sharing the gospel with the people around in those communities. So as the offering bags are passed, we ask that you guys would, would pray, and then we'll end with a time of worship.